You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Morning, everyone. My name is Ben Fleming. I'm one of the senior pastors here at Westside Church. Uh, welcome those of you who are listening online, and I'm just glad that you're with us. You can open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 14. We are closing out our Roman series today. I know everyone's going to miss it so, 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 so much after uh, at least... 17 weeks of doing it. No, it hasn't been that long. Um, I do want to recommend that if you missed any part of this series, that you go back online, westsidechurch.org, and check out the sermons uh, to catch up. It's always good to have a companion to an entire book of the Bible. It gives you kind of a cohesive understanding of the entire thing. Uh, so go back and listen to those. I would highly recommend, especially listen to Evan's message from this last week. It was so good. And this is actually a little bit, almost like a part two to specifically that sermon that Evan preached last week. So we're starting in Romans 15 and verse 14. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Rome, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. We're gonna, let's read that verse again. Pay attention real close. We're going to spend a lot of time right here today. I am myself and convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning that we get to gather together today, that your presence is here and it's among us. We don't have to conjure you or make you happen. You exist with us right here in this moment. So Lord, we give you praise. Move our hearts closer toward the image of you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I do have big news for all of you before we get started. Um, this is important. I was cold last night. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd like to thank everyone who got me through the last few months of just being hot all the time. And uh, I know some of you last night was a, a, a source of great mourning. It was great rejoicing for me to feel like I needed an additional blanket. It was so beautiful. I'm going to preach to you from the sermon title this morning, Christ Forever. Amen as we finish the book of Romans. And Paul does something here at the beginning of this specific section that really caught my eye. I'm supposed to speak on the last half of chapter 15 and then all of chapter 16, which uh, indicates a lot of really wonderful, beautiful things, especially if you look at it in context. Paul is talking about this group of people that he's working with to continue to spread the gospel and to love the people around them. And I gotta say, it takes all kinds of folks. There's educated and uneducated. There's men, there's women, there's people from all different backgrounds moving this gospel forward that Paul thanks and acknowledges at the end in chapter 16. But in chapter 15 and verse 14, he says something that is incredibly difficult, mean, and rude, and frustrating in this scripture where he says, there is goodness in all of you. No way. And Paul does this a few times in a few different of his writings. He, it says at the beginning of Colossians, he says, this book is to the, this letter is to the saints and the faithful brethren at the church in Colossae. 
And I got to believe that if I'm somebody that's in that church, maybe even one of the leaders, I'm looking around and I'm reading this and I'm looking up at the people that I'm reading it to and I'm going, not all saints, let me tell you that. There's goodness in all, we're full of goodness. So well, let me tell you what you're full of, Paul, if you think that we're all full of goodness. And I feel that even as I read this and I think about the world that we live in and the culture that we're interacting with right now and the idea that somebody would come to me and say, this whole world, these people that you're interacting with, that you're fighting with, that you're disagreeing with or agreeing with, they're all full of goodness. And I would go, have you been to the same last two years that I have? As it hasn't felt good all the time. Definitely hasn't felt full. It's felt empty and difficult. But I believe that Paul is encouraging us to do something right now here in this day and age. Really, I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving us right now in this day and age to discover the goodness that exists in each and every single one of us. So how do we find the goodness in those around us, in all of those around us that all are full of goodness? Uh, here's point number one, believe all things. Believe all things. This is what I mean by that. Some of you are gonna recognize this passage of scripture uh, from, Col uh, from 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous. Love doesn't brag, it's not arrogant. It doesn't act disgracefully. It doesn't seek its own benefit. It's not provoked. It does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things hopes all things, and it endures all things. It believes all things. Now, I use this particular passage like a lot of pastors do um, at weddings a lot of times. First Corinthians, this is what love does, and love, it never fails. And it's really beautiful and heartbreaking to watch a brand new married couple listen to these words and think, this is how I believe. And I go, come talk to me in five years and see how you feel about this scripture. I say, yes, it believes all things. And just so you know, and this is what Paul is doing in Romans as well. And this is what he's doing in his address to the Colossians and the Galatians when he says the saints and the faithful brethren that all are full of goodness. Paul is speaking with this kind of fatherly Christ love that believes all things means believes the best in all things. It believes the best in all people. And so you say that, right, at the wedding to the, the couple that's holding hands that has just exchanged rings and you, know, you believe the best in them. And they're like, yes, I do. I believe that. And then they're in my office five years later going, did you know, did you know this about my husband? He is not a dishwasher, he is a dish soaker. <laughs> some, some soakers in the house this morning, anyway, he's a soaker. <laughs> All right, I'm a soaker, I'll admit it. Rebecca, love you anyway. <laughs> and we'll find these things, right? Because at the beginning of a relationship, when you sign that lease with your roommate, right? You're thinking, oh, okay, I see the goodness in this. And we, we share a similar idea about movies and we both like to ride bikes and we're both active kind of people. And yeah, this lease is gonna work out. I can sign up for 12 months of this with this person. Two months in, things change. 
All of a sudden, seeing the goodness has been replaced by seeing every single flaw and then actually projecting that over all of the goodness. Now, we are doing this really as an entire country, as an entire people. Maybe you aren't, but I've been in a lot of groups that have been doing this. I've done it myself, where we find it much easier instead of seeing the goodness in people, we want to instead put them into specific assigned buckets and areas so that we can deal with them more efficiently. And look, this is part of our, our brain programming. We have been programmed as a species to find our tribe, to acknowledge that we are part of that tribe and commit to that tribe and then quickly assess who exists outside of this tribe. They become the other and I actually become safer when we make quick decisions that exclude and keep them out. This has been, since the beginning of humanity, we've been doing this. We've been trying to create tribes that insulate ourselves. This is the reason that I can spend time with students this last week and I can still hear some of them as we're spending time at a pool. I can hear them making fun of people, of, of other young people with disabilities. Because if you and I can agree on a similar vocabulary and language and we can exclude this person because of something superficial, all of a sudden I can feel better about myself and I can actually feel safer in my social circle and I can exclude this group of people. When we believe all things, we are far more reluctant to group people into these massive buckets and areas so that we can efficiently deal with them. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I like the quick tribalism thing. You know how easy it is for me to just lump half of you into a group of people I hate? Then just say, yep, I'm just gonna hate you based on these few criteria. Well, have you ever talked to me? I have not. I have no time to talk for you. I have no interest. You are an idiot. You will always be an idiot. And never the two shall meet. I wonder what would happen if we approach this, and there's one Bible scholar that actually puts, that actually puts this scripture this way. He says, when somebody does something wrong with you, a love that believes all things, looks at them and says, they didn't mean that. And some of you have been in some relationships where you're going, yes, they do. They mean it. And they've done it again and again and again and again. And love that believes all things would look even in the face of that and say they didn't mean that. Oof, this is gonna be a rough message. In order to discover the goodness in those around us, we can begin by believing all things. The second thing that we can do is we can localize our conversations. Now I wanna make this really, really clear. Um, I think the national and the international conversation about everything that goes on in our world, government, all these things are incredibly of utmost importance. The videos from Haiti, Afghanistan broken my heart. And I know that there's people that exist right here in this room that are actually getting ready to go be part of rescue units, especially to, to head to Haiti to help aid in the suffering that's happening over there on the other side of the world. What I'm about to say does not take any of that conversation or the importance of it away. But I do wonder sometimes if because we are so comfortable with creating tribes and putting people in groups and on teams that we've actually found more comfort in the food fight across the aisle than we do in actually talking to the real neighbors that live and exist around us. I'll give you for instance, uh, I have somehow become part of a, a email chain 
congratulations to me that I have unsubscribed from so many times. I think the unsubscribe button is like a fake or it's a button that actually sends you more emails. But somehow it's this group of people, they tell me they love Jesus. I'll let God sort that out in the end. <laughs> that was funnier than you thought it was. And um, it was a little dark. It was a little dark. And a lot of the conversation in these emails I've discovered uh, as these people go back and forth is about, um, is about numbers, right? Pandemic numbers, these political numbers, this movement and that movement is going on. And like I said, I'm not opposed to having conversations about a lot of these things. But one of these conversations popped up. Did you know that they are cooking, they're expanding on, they're making up the numbers in this hospital and these hospitals and blah, 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 blah. That there's not this much of a problem. There's not whatever. And I go, okay, I sleep next to a nurse every night at St. Charles. I don't sleep at St. Charles. We sleep in our bed. <laughs> this, this sermon is going, a, this is a different sermon. And, and my wife comes home and she's in tears at 5.30 in the morning. And she says, we're in a crisis. We're overrun. I'm scared. Traumas that come in, we can't treat fast enough. And and so here's the deal. I wonder if we found this comfort in this big national conversation sometimes because we want to actually ignore the neighbors that exist right around us. Because you can send me all the emails you want. You can show me the news sources and the memes and you can send me what you want on social media. And when my wife comes home and she says, this is what's happening around the corner. This is in our neighborhood. My reaction now is how can I help them? Because I'm with you and I'm on your team and I, I believe that what you're seeing right around the corner is something that is happening in the middle right now of our city and something needs to be done and we've got to help. We need to bring aid. We need to have a conversation. I wonder sometimes if because when I talk to somebody that I sleep next to or that I live next to or that I'm friends with, if it's because when I hear their pain in their progress, I'm actually moved toward action. When I engage in a conversation that I don't fully understand about a bunch of news sources and a bunch of people all over the whatever, all I have to do is scream louder than you on Facebook. That's my job. And I could get likes and I could get whatever, but when we are actually confronted with something that our neighbor is struggling with, that they are facing, all of a sudden we are now compelled. If we have a soul, we have a heart, we have a listening ear, we're compelled to action. I wonder what would happen as a church that if we wouldn't find more goodness in the people around us when we stop trying to engage in this big conversation that doesn't always concern us, and instead we would try to be a listening ear for the pain and the progress and the people and the victory and the losses immediately around us. I wonder if we couldn't be convicted to listen to our actual neighbors instead of constantly engaging in this massive, nuanced, difficult to wrap our arms around 
food fight. So I wonder if finding the goodness in the people around us doesn't actually come from talking to our own school board members or students that have lost athletics or have, have missed out on specific areas of their life or hospitals that are in crisis or business owners in restaurants that have lost profits and opportunities or the homeless problem that we have. I wonder if we wouldn't talk to homeless people and we would learn names and all of a sudden it doesn't become a homeless problem anymore. But now it's about finding Eric a home. Now it's about finding Alyssa a home and a place and an opportunity. I wonder if we would get out of some of the vocabulary and the rhetoric that we use when all of a sudden we would turn enemies into real live neighbors. I wrote it down like this to recap some of this because I felt like I would do what I just did. It's terribly easy and not often productive to lump everyone into two, into two or three buckets, parties, teams, although it's natural. It's primal to find a tribe, discover a group that's different, and vilify them because of their background, race, color, appearance, belief, interest. It's why we're all still at a point that youth will poke fun at another student with disabilities and that some of us have crushed 15-year relationships beneath the weight of cultural turmoil. It's far more difficult to look at the person in front of you and hear a soul speak and seek to hear and understand them than it is to cheer against an other. Uh, here's the third thing that we can do to see the goodness in each other, that we can listen to learn, not just listen to speak, but that we can listen to learn. I had a... I had my first coffee um, when I was about 10, 11 years old. Outside of the coffees, like, you know, the grownups will play cards a little bit. And sometimes I go around, you know, and take little coffee shooters. You know, they got about this much left. It's not, it's not very healthy or a good idea, but that's what I did when I was a little kid. A lot of card playing in my house. So I was 10 or 11. I went to Dutch Bros, the 24-hour stand in Grants Pass right off the freeway on the south side of town. And I got a 20-ounce blended caramel freeze and my first coffee. And I came home and I looked at my brother who's nine years older than me and I said, Nate, check it out. I got, I got coffee. <laughs> you, know, you know, have you ever seen kids do this or you've been this kid where you're like, I'm in the club now, look at me. And people look at you and they're like, no. <laughs> and my brother looked at me and he said, that's not coffee. And I was like, no, 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 no. Got it from a coffee shop. Definitely a coffee. And I actually went and um, I worked at Dutch Bros for a while in my mid-20s. I really enjoyed working there. It was an awesome place to work. I made some of this freeze that I had drank when I was 10 years old. I was making the batches of it. And I was like, not, not, not much coffee in here. <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> and my brother told me when I was showing him this 20-ounce coffee, he says, he says, that's not coffee. Um, and he, he would only drink black coffee. And so he showed me his cup. He said, this is coffee-flavored coffee. And so I adopted that. Um, all I like to drink now usually is just a cup of drip. That's just black coffee. Uh, and I've, I've used this with baristas. And then I felt really, really rude. Uh, so I stopped doing it because, but anyway, let me just tell you. They would, I would say, yeah, can I get a 12-ounce uh, cup of drip coffee, just black? And they would go, would you like cream or sugar in that? And I go, just coffee-flavored coffee. And they would look at me like, you are mean. 
I don't say that anymore. Paul talks extensively in the book of Romans and a lot of his writings about the Holy Spirit. And I think we need so desperately the Holy Spirit right now in our church and in our city in this time. But what I want it to be with us, I want it to be a Holy Spirit flavored Holy Spirit. Because I think a lot of times we made the mistake and it's not always our fault, sometimes it is, but based on what we've grown up in or what we've thought about or what we've heard about, we'll say this is the way that I'm gonna bring the Holy Spirit into this moment. And remember from 1 Corinthians that we talked about earlier, Paul said that love is patient and it's kind, it doesn't envy, it's not boastful. You gotta remember that when we function in the Holy Spirit, that when we listen to the Spirit of God, that it also exists in that framework of love. It's not envious, it's patient, it's kind, it's gentle. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I wonder sometimes in our haste to be some kind of spiritual hero, We've pretended, or maybe it even started off as a, as, a, as a voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we've sacrificed the real patient that it takes to hear the voice of God. And instead, we've given all of that beautiful nature of Jesus away. And instead, we've taken on something that is impatient, that is boastful, that seeks its own. Man, we need the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but... You know what? I think we've kind of added oat milk and almond milk and whole milk and lavender to the whole thing sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Or we've added white granulated sugar and, and whole milk and all oh, that free stuff is so good. You guys, it's so good. And we've come to the world and we've said, ah, oh, you need Jesus. Look at this. This is, the G this is the love. And the people around us are going, that's it. That's coffee. I don't know if that's coffee. This is how we care for our community. I'm not sure that that's it. I'm not sure that that's the thing that it's supposed to exist in. I wonder what would happen if it was so clear that Westside was a Jesus flavor, Jesus church. And so I wanna encourage you as we leave here today, encourage you to be careful and mindful about the things that you think and say about the people around you. There is goodness in all of them. Be wary of people that would hijack the message of Jesus. Again, I'm gonna say it again. A love that is patient and is kind, is not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act disgracefully, doesn't seek after its own benefit, it's not provoked, it doesn't keep account of wrong suffered, it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. I beg you to have the patience to wait on God and the Holy Spirit, to be able to see the wolves and the people and the things that exist in our lives that actively run against this description of love in order to build up likes and following and monetary gain and to sow and create more division. And the church has been an active member of this group that is trying to hijack this beautiful, patient, slow to speak, quick to listen message. 
And here's the big bummer about it all, you guys. This preaching, this love is patient and love is kind stuff, it will not get me a million views on YouTube. It won't get you a whole bunch of likes. It's not sarcastic enough. It's not biting enough. It's not divisive enough. It won't create enough of a following. I wonder if the church was never ever meant to be the ones that are out trying to seek our own and get as much of a following, but instead to spread this gospel that exists inside of Jesus Christ. And so if you are anything like me, I hope you repent today of trying to create some of that divisiveness, to create some of that anger, to let it work up in you. I'm not saying that we don't believe for beautiful things that Jesus believed for, but I hope that we can get rid of the wolves in our own hearts and the wolves in our own churches for the sake of this beautiful, perfect love that Jesus has brought us. If only we would stop and we would listen. So here's the difficulty, you guys. This kind of love, this kind of message, it moves slow. It listens a lot. It changes its mind. but it is beautiful. I'm gonna invite Lindsay up and we're gonna close with this song. I'm gonna read you two scriptures real quick. The last verses of Romans 16, the last of the entire letter to the book in Rome, to the, to the people in Rome. Apostle Paul says, now glory to God who's able to make you strong. Just as my good news says, the message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time, but now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. and see the goodness in everyone. I'm gonna leave you with this benediction uh, from Deuteronomy 33, actually. It says, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him for he shields him all day long. I'm gonna read that first line again. The beloved of the Lord rests secure in him, not fearful, not hateful, not angry, the beloved rests secure for he shields them all day long and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Christ forever, amen. You stand with me, we're gonna sing this. Jesus, we come before you this morning And we tell you today that we want this love, that we actually want it. This love that's patient and that's kind, that believes all things and bears all things, hopes all things, and is willing to endure all things. And Jesus, we pray that in the middle of our dysfunction and our questioning and our looking for answers, Jesus, that we would have a desire to see the goodness that you've created inside of all of us. What a task, what a difficult task, but it's worth it and worthy. In your name we pray.
Amen.